Welcome to Now I See, a place where people share their eye-opening moments and how it changed the way they see themselves, their world, and their place in it. We hope you'll be encouraged and inspired by the stories you hear and challenged to see things in a whole new way, too. Sit back and enjoy this show that we've prepared especially with you in mind. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. Today's guest is RV Boggess. Welcome, RV. Kit, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I am so glad you are here. RV is the senior editor of several magazines, including Venue Professional Magazine, a publication of the International Association of Venue Managers. He's usually the one who's doing the interviews, so it'll be fun to turn the tables on him today. He's the voice in the venues of Irving, Texas High School Football and Nimitz High School Basketball. And he's the author of the book, Saint, Servant, and Soulmate, The Loving Legacy of Tanya Bogus. RV met his current wife, Charlotte, who is grieving the recent passing of her husband at a local chapter of Grief Share. They dated and married, and together they now host the group. As you will see, RV has a lot of passion, energy, and a great big heart, which is why we've chosen to air his love stories in the month of February, when we're all thinking about love. RV, I see you as joyful, thoughtful, compassionate, and a little bit sentimental. How do you see yourself? Well, you describe me in more ways than I knew about myself, Kit, actually. Um, I I think I see myself pretty much as you described, honestly. Yay! Uh, <laughs> I, I I like it when I get it right. <laughs> and you did without any leading in or prompting from me. You just read it to me, and I'm like, uh huh. She's she's got it. She's got it. I, I I'm a people person, and I I think a lot of that stems from growing up and having an interest in um, what would become my career in in journalism. Um, graduated uh, college with a major in journalism, and. Obviously, if you're going to be a journalist, you have to interview people, right? Yes, sir. I'm sitting across from someone who knows that only too well. So it's important to have those type of people skills and to have empathy and compassion and those sorts of things for the people that you're talking to and that you're trying to help your readers understand them better and just who they are. And the best way to do that is to get to know them. Uh, in their situation. So I do find that to be true as, as you described. And, um, you know, as far as a sentimental part, um, you know, I know you have guys listening in, in your audience as well. And, and some of us guys might think, ah, you know, I don't want anyone calling me a sentimental old fool or anything, but, but, um, yeah, I'm not afraid to admit it. Hey, I've got a poodle. Um, I'm saying this to you over the air, you know, that doesn't give many guys a man card, but uh, never has bothered me. I'm, I'm confident in, in my manliness, I guess you could say. And, uh, yeah, well, I certainly meant no disrespect by that. I mean, you cherish things, um, sweet and kind and tender things. You have a wonderful way of, um, holding on to memories and making the most of characteristics that you see in other people, um, that other people would brush by. You have a tendency to find them and to hold on to them, and that's a wonderful trait. That's what I mean by sentimental. Oh yeah, and I, I certainly didn't take it that way either. Way either. <laughs> I was just I was just having fun with the stereotype of there man. Stereotype. Man equals sentimental, you know. But uh, I, I think we'd all do better to be more sentimental. You know. You know what? Ahead. You know what? And and shed a few more tears. I think so. Uh, I think it's a good you thing. You know, um, there there have been uh, many of those that that. 
that I've poured out of my eyes over the years. And um, I'm thankful that, uh, as the book of Psalms says, that we have a God who stores up and collects our tears mm. in a bottle. Mm. And, uh, you know, we're given tears uh, for a reason. And, um, you know, those are often used in sentimental type occasions. They're often used in joyous occasions. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, tears are for all seasons and all reasons. So, um, anyhow, yeah, compassion, sentimental, you nail me. Good. I'm so glad. Well, before we get to the reason for tears, I want to hear how um, how those traits were formed in you. Did you grow up in a home where um, small things were cherished and valued? Or did you just observe those things in yourself? Did anybody affirm that in you? How were those things formed in you? Well, I, I'm I'm going to answer honestly, and I both of my parents are deceased. I, I want to say that first. My mom passed away in 2012 at age 71. She went in for a what was thought to be a minor. You know, you can't call any surgery minor, but uh, nonetheless, it was a hernia surgery, and she had complications come out of that and was in. ICU, basically in a coma for a month before she passed away. Uh, my dad passed away uh, last May, and he was 83, and he, he had a number of health issues taking place. He passed away with hospice uh, mm. at home, and I'm glad I was at his bedside. Mm. So I dearly miss both my parents. Um, they were married 35 years. They actually divorced in 1990 after 35 long years of marriage, and uh Without going too deeply into in, to family background, believe it or not, that divorce was the best thing for both of them. Wow. And it was really the best thing for me as far as my relationships went with both of them. Um, difficult to, to describe some things. But uh, nonetheless, to your question, Kit, there, we really were not a sentimental, tight-knit household uh, when I grew up. Um, not a lot of celebrating at holidays mm -hmm. and those things. Um, you know, I, I had a, a friend who to this day remains my best friend. I talked with you before we started this a little bit about him. He, uh, he invited me in the eighth grade. Uh, we went to the same junior high school to play for a church basketball team that he played on and some other of my buddies in junior high played on. And so I started attending this church. Basically that was his way of witnessing to me. <laughs> you know, eighth graders mm -hmm. aren't always mm -hmm. the best at formulating words about, you know, this guy, Jesus is mm -hmm. someone good for you to know. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, uh, so I, I like to tell people he witnessed to me through basketball because it got me in the church doors and, and hearing, hearing the word and everything. So, um, I saw this happiness that all my buddies had and that really was not going on so much in, in, in my household. Uh, my parents were high school dropouts. They, they, they married and I was born 11 months later. They dropped out of South Oak Cliff high school in the mid fifties. So as I played basketball at that age, uh, that was, you know, one of my earliest enjoyments of sports was, was playing with my friends, even though I was wretched, as a basketball <laughs> player, if if it was an eleven man team, I might as well have been the twelfth man. I was that bad. I, I was like an invisible player. But they gave me a uniform and a 
sportsmanship trophy and all this stuff, you know. So I was a rah-rah guy on the sideline, and if it was a blowout either way, the coach would put me in. But I had a blast. I was playing basketball with my friends. I had a uniform, and sure. the team itself was awesome. So there were some neat memories of that, uh, of playing that. And, and then I would, um, you know, in high school, find a journalism class that I became interested in. And that, that kind of uh, eventually led to my career. But all these things just to say that many of the things I missed out on that that more, if you want to call it, stable homes had for a kid growing up, I wanted that. I didn't have that. And the support I got while I was in high school for what would become my career primarily came from my high school journalism teacher. I will give a shout out to Carol Hafner <laughs> who encouraged me. And uh, my parents would have been fine if I had dropped out of school. That's what mm -hmm. they did. My dad put a roof over our head, food on our table. He was a carpet layer and uh, he was a provider. They would have been fine if I had done that for a career. Dad would have been just as proud of me. I know that. But um, I, I just went down a different track. You wanted more. Yeah, I did. I did. I wanted, I wanted more. Uh, I wanted a life that, that was going to be more stable. And uh, I definitely found a passion in, in journalism from the get-go as the sports editor of the Dallas H. Grady Spruce High School Apache Drumbeat <laughs> newspaper. <right. laughs> I won second in state for feature writing my senior Wonderful. year uh, with a story, a, a preview for our baseball team. And once I got that award, it was down at the University of Texas at Austin during a university interscholastic league academic and press meeting, which is when they announced the winners. And I will always remember my high school teacher, Miss Hafner, uh, down at Gregory Gym at UT, Went to a payphone. This is a mid seventies, man. A payphone. <laughs> That's right. We didn't have cell phones yet. <laughs> no. And she called back to Dallas to tell her mom that one of her students had placed second in the state. And the thing I will always remember to this day, and we just talked. You and I talked about this a couple minutes ago. It was the tears of joy that she shed. I was standing outside that phone booth, and she was telling her mom this story, crying. I got back home, told my mom and dad, hey, I just went second in the state and everything. Oh, that's good, son. You know, go play ball or whatever. And I'm like, where's where's my parental encouragement? I do not blame them. It's, it's how my parents grew up. Yeah, it was a different generation. It was a different generation. And so that I might have been too young to understand. And maybe I did blame them when I was in high school. It's like, why aren't you giving me the love that my high school journalism teacher gives me? Um, but. I, it was nothing ever held against them. Maybe at the time I didn't understand, but um, it all worked out. I had beautiful parents, loved them, miss them dearly. And um, again, thankful for, for having the support of my teacher and, and some friends that helped me in those early days. Wow, that everything's coming together here. So I can see how you developed your love for sports and how you pursued that, how a little bit of encouragement went a long way um, confirming in you a gift of writing and the joy of writing. Um, being a team player and belonging to something bigger than yourself. And I see you using all of these things in order to make a difference in life. So what did you do with all those things? You continued to write. Let's hear about your writing career. Well, I I made a circuit, circuit, 
easy for me to say. <laughs> say it for me, Kit. Circu- circuitous, Ralph. Thank you, circuitous. <laughs> I can spell it, I just can't say it. I'm confident you can. That's funny. And, yes. And I probably can't spell it, so there you go. <laughs> ah, that's why That's why we're here together. We, we complement each team, other only right. too well. My only, actually, my only newspaper experience was first job right out of college. I was a sports writer for the Denton Record Chronicle for nine whole months. <clears throat> oh, jeez. <laughs> <clears throat> it was an afternoon newspaper. I commuted up to Denton, and um, I covered the small area high schools. We had a three-man sports staff. I was obviously low man on the totem pole. Um, covered the area high schools, but the most fun part was I did have a press pass to cover the Dallas Cowboys home games. Uh, I never got to get on a big plane and go to their road games, but I had a press pass at Texas Stadium. And every Tuesday, Coach Tom Landry's press conference over on Central Expressway, I got to cover the press conferences. It was so neat, even though I think I made $14,000 a year. Um, Yeah, but you made connections and you got great experience. Oh, it was a blast to to be someone in your early twenties and get to do it's that. real heady stuff. Yeah. No, none of my friends ever asked me. They they could care less. They never asked me what kind of salary I was making. They're just like, dude, really? You get to go <laughs> exactly. see Tom Landry and sit in a press box and eat food? Exactly. And uh, <clears throat> so, and see the cheerleaders. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, there you go. Side attractions. <laughs> side attractions. Um, but while I was in uh, working for the Denton newspaper, I. I did get to cover a, a North Texas, they were called North Texas State at the time, now University of North Texas, basketball game or two, and I met their head coach. His son worked uh, for an organization out of Garland, Texas, called the Association of Tennis Professionals, and that's basically the organization that runs the men's tennis tour. And so I went to work for the ATP. I interviewed and got the job as managing editor of their publication, WCT World Championship Tennis went out of business in the late 80s. So I had to look for another job. And uh, I found a job, really, I guess you could call it my first job out of sports in some fashion with uh, Promotional Products Association here in Irving. And I was the uh, news editor for promotional products business magazine well i started in august of 87 six months later this little blue-eyed blonde-haired girl was hired to be a receptionist there named tanya bailey she stole my heart uh she would become my wife uh we went out on a date on uh, may 12th 1988 being the romantic fool i am i took her to campese's restaurant for some pizza and then down to dallas fair park coliseum to watch an indoor polo match (laughs) All about the sports, after all. I know it. I know it. And, and she was okay with it. <laughs> and uh, I think she probably just wanted to hang with you. Well, we we dated. We met as I said. Our first date was May twelve eighty eight. We got married May twelve nineteen ninety. Two years to the to the date. And uh, uh, worked at, at promotional products through most of the nineties. And then I sent my resume out. There was another company in Irving. Uh, at the time, called the International Association of Auditorium Managers. It's my current employer, but with a little bit different name. And um, I interviewed, and I remember the lady I interviewed with, she looked at my resume, and she goes, wow, she goes, you got a lot of sports on your background? She goes, some of our members are 
are like the uh, the ones who who tour and go to to the arenas and stadiums uh, that our members manage, like the Harlem Globetrotters and Disney on Ice, and World Wrestling Federation, and you know some of these entities. Uh, and uh, so I guess she liked that I had that element in my resume, and I was pretty impressed because I was familiar with the Globetrotters and Disney and World Wrestling. Fun. <laughs> and uh, got the job and it. You know, been been there for like 20 years. So fun. Well, we have been hearing some great things from RV. We're going to take a break right now. We'll be back in just a moment with more of his story. Today, we're hearing about the people and things RV Boggus loves. I hope by now you've developed a strong affection for our weekly gatherings as we bring you conversations with interesting people whose stories are filled with humor, creativity, courage, triumph, inspiration, and yes, even love. Hopefully you got to hear last week's story of Tina Davis's extravagant love for a shaken baby. Next week, you'll hear from Georgia Clemson, founder of The Big Event. She'll be inviting people to come together for one special day of community to show love to each other through gifts of service. If you haven't done so already, please give us the gift of a good rating and review of our podcast. That's how we build our listening community, and we'd love to have your help. We'd also love to see your posts on our platforms at Now I See Pod and in our Facebook group. We'd like to send you our weekly newsletter. You can sign up for that when you visit our site at nis.media. Right after you finish hearing the surprising end of Arby's story. Now, back to our show. So we are back from our break, and we are here again with RV Bogus. RV, before the break, you and I were talking about how you were at the top of your game. You were running with a very heady set of um, athletes and venue owners, and you know, people that people want to rub shoulders with. So you landed a dream job. You fell in love with a beautiful girl, um, and life was going great. Pick up the story from there. Well. Thank you for saying what you just said. Uh, as as far as rubbing shoulders and heady people and everything like that, I, I it it's been fun. Um, definitely, I, I've I've really been blessed in my career. Um, as you probably know only too well, journalism. If you get into journalism, you do not get into it to retire early or get no. rich. <laughs> no. uh, that's that's you never... get in it for the perks. Well, no, that's true. That that really is true, and it just so happened my particular niche fell in the realm of sports journalism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it mm-hmm. could have easily been some other facet mm-hmm. of, of journalism, mm-hmm. but for me, just grew up with the love of sports. We've already covered that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned before we uh, uh, went to break, Tanya and I, we married in 1990. We uh, lived in an apartment, and in uh, 1995, we moved to the house that we're in right now and um uh, we both work at promotional products and we we had a good working relationship we you know we took separate cars to work in case one of us needed to stay a little <laughs> later than the other and we kept our personal lives separate from our professional lives 
worked out really well. We did discover relatively early on that she had some fertility issues. And we spent money doing our best to try and have a baby. And, um, and we, we, we struggled with, uh, with, uh, being in the fellowship. We, we knew we needed to be in church. Lord knows my in-laws were scolding us for not being faithful. Um, it was a little bit of a, I don't know if rebellious is the right time. There was, you know, or I hate to say anger at God because we knew Tanya and I are both Christian. We, we knew God would do nothing to hurt us. But it was heartbreaking. But it hurt. And, um, it, it took us a while to shake off the cobwebs and, and get back in, into the, uh, into the body of Christ and, and the fellowship of of Christ that we all need because uh, I had other experiences that would follow that were it not for that that particular support I don't know where I would be <clears throat> so we endured you know fought through some choppy waters but uh, at that point we realized okay we get it we're not you know our, our our plan here is not obviously to be parents but it sure won't stop us from spoiling other people's kids I heard you say something about that when we first met we did that, and we did that very well. Uh, Tanya would have made a wonderful mom. But we just spoiled other people's kids. We'd, you know, if, if a couple needed a weekend, date weekend away or something, we're like, hey, bring them over here. We'll take them to Six Flags or something. <laughs> the parents would get back, and they would start complaining. They're like, great. You give us our kids back after y'all taken them to all these amusement parks and <laughs> fed sorry. them ice cream, and now they're, all, they're right. expecting this from us. And we're like, we're sorry. We're sorry. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> But that was the beginning of heartbreak. There were going to be some other sad things that followed. Can you talk about some of those? Yeah. Um, nothing unique to me. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that I came to the realization that this heartbreak did not mean I was being picked on or singled out or that I'm, I'm the unique one and no one else ever has to experience that because that's just not true. Uh, each and every one of us with a breath has gone through grief in some form, version, or format. I think what happens is there's often a point of genesis where something begins that stills you, S-T-E-E-L-S, <laughs> uh, hardens you yes. for future grief episodes or losses that you're going to encounter. Uh, because um, once we realized we probably were not going to be uh, birth parents, that uh, a few family losses started building up at that point. And as I shared with you, the first was my brother, who he was just 48. Uh, I'm the oldest of four. He was next in line. He and I were the closest when it comes to my, my siblings. And he and I just started doing a few business things together as a way for us to be close as brothers. And he um, he suffered a massive heart attack while he was driving. Oh, shocking. And this was 2007. Rex was, again, 48 years old. And uh, that one came out of the blue because I had just talked with him on the telephone mm. an hour and a half before mm. he died. My mom called to tell me she was in tears. I, I will remember. She said, um, 
Rex just died. I said, what? I just yeah, talked to him an hour no and a half sense. ago. He had a heart attack. So anyhow, that led a string of, of family deaths. Uh, that, that, that really was the, the, the heartbreak, uh, at the time, uh, Rex passed away. My, my stepmom passed away in 2009. My mother-in-law in 2010, my mom in 2012, mm. my father-in-law in 2014. And then Tanya, my wife passed away in January, January 30th, 2015. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a few of them really bumping wave up after close wave. together, wave yeah. after wave. That's a good way to say it. And I don't think at, at that time when these losses were taking place that I was thinking about the subject of grief or identifying it or just really realizing that it's something essential for me to go through. I think it's something essential for everyone to go through. We don't want anybody to be stuck there. I mean, there's there's good and appropriate grieving, and I'm so glad for the gift of grief because we need to process the love that we had and the loss that we feel. Um, so tell us. Tell it, us about your journey. Yeah, well, uh, I just mentioned those who passed, and uh, it's not like it's been that many years ago, but honestly, I, I don't recall how I processed those until it got to Tanya Mm -hmm. in her circumstance, at least age wise, same as my brother. She was 48 when she passed away. Um, 2009, she found out or she was diagnosed with diabetes. Mm -hmm. There's, there's some siblings in bad health right now. A couple had already passed away. They just did not live long. And so, uh, that process began, but she had, she had other health issues besides diabetes. She had, uh, well, I don't need to go into all of them. She had some heart issues, and that, that is eventually what took her life. Tanya had, an, uh, she uh, went in for a stress test, and um, something showed up on it. So her cardiologist said, we need to get you in to have an angiogram and just see what's happening with your heart. Angiograms are considered day sure. procedures. Sure. She took a People magazine with her. Uh, this was to happen on a Friday. I went with her to the hospital, and, you know, we were just cool, calm, and collected. She said, if they keep me overnight, you'll have to go get something to eat. I'll always remember that. And I said, ah, I'll, I'll worry about that after you get out of your procedure. Well, she never made it. Um, they performed the angiogram. She had massive heart blockage uh, in her main artery, 100%. She was oh a walking goodness. heart attack. Yeah. In hindsight now, I'm thankful that she was at the hospital and that she did not have a heart attack at home or at work or where I would have really felt guilty for not having her or in the alone. hospital or alone. So she was there. They put two stents in. At that point, something happened. Uh, she became unresponsive. They tried CPR. They eventually put her on life support. Mm-hmm. They couldn't bring her back. Mm-hmm. And so it was close to one hour. And uh, they called me in. And I just, she was on the other side of a glass panel. And I saw these doctors working, pumping on her and trying to get her heartbeat. But she was gone. And so I told them, don't let her keep going through with this. Yeah. Uh, do, let's do the humane thing. <clears throat> let her go be with the Lord. So, um, you know, I walked out of the hospital that day and um, certainly not expecting to be walking out Hello. a widower. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, 
but I was. And uh, somehow I drove myself home that night. I don't even really remember how. I was going to say, do you remember doing it? Yeah, the shock must have been. I had one friend from church who, uh, he he is a fellow deacon, and he he ever so often will remind me when we're recounting this that <clears throat> he said, I walked outside with you and said, can I drive you home? And you said, no, I'll be okay. I can make it. I said, Bob, I honestly don't remember that conversation you and I had, but, uh, I came home and, um, um, it was a, an immediate different world. When she passed away on that Friday, this may not have been my best decision because that Sunday morning I was at church less than 48 hours later. And, uh, I sat on the back row, not, typically where we would sit in case it became too emotional and I needed to leave. <clears throat> and of course it did. I don't remember the first song, but as soon as it started, I just went wailing and uh, went out into the hallway and cried. Had some, uh, had some of the guys come out and meet me and pray. And I was very thankful. But at that point I knew I needed help. Uh, you know, help that we can get here through the resources mm -hmm. that, that the Lord makes available mm -hmm. to us, such as a Greek class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was a crazy string of events that got me to Irving Bible Church for this class called Grief Share. You know, I had never heard of it. I, I just, you know, you always hear grief support, grief support. And, and I'm sure there are a million kinds of grief support. You know, very secular kinds of grief support, some that are uh, Christian-based grief support, which this one was which was important to me um, because at that point I really desperately needed Jeremiah 29, 11 <laughs> to into my life, uh -huh. that there uh -huh. are plans for me. Good and, plans to prosper you, yeah, not that, to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. There's nothing more calming and reassuring at that point than, than that particular verse. And um, Yes, because you hate to think that you went through all of this for nothing. You know, that you were feeling just yeah. this emptiness and this brokenness for nothing. That yeah. would just be a despair that would be very hard to recover from. Very true. I mean, I, I couldn't say it any, any better. That's, that's exactly it. Um, the first thing I did is, after her pat not the first thing, but let's, a couple of months later, this, is, this didn't even come from a grief support class, but you will often hear people say, at some point, as hard as it is, you need to try and go back to some of the places that two of you really enjoyed going to, mm -hmm. whether it was a restaurant mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. you know, an event that, mm -hmm. that you did all the time together. Mm -hmm. Well, we love going to Market Hall here in Dallas to the Home and Garden Show. Now, I thought you were going to say a sporting event. No. <laughs> okay. Blew you away on that one, didn't I? <laughs> yes. Surprise. <laughs> uh, not like I'm a home or garden kind of guy. Yeah, but that is fun. But we, is we fun. walked every aisle. As a matter of fact, I would use, my purchase would usually be a half pound of chocolate fudge that one of the <laughs> vendors was selling. And I would always tease her about buying one of these fancy, uh, fancy schmancy mops that d does all the work for you. We, we laugh, we joke, we, we turned every corner, every aisle. We would go eat at Ojeda's Mexican food on Maple Avenue sure. and then go to the Hunting Garden. It was a tradition. So that thing rolled around and I thought, okay, I'm going to make this my first event I go to. Oh my her. gosh. So very public. Yeah. Yeah. 
which most things we did were very public. I just, part of just, I love being social and For sure. people. And, you know, if I have an opportunity to see somebody face to face, you know, I'll still go see a bank teller versus doing something online, <laughs> even though it, it's a lot, takes a lot more time and whatever. That's just me. But I went and, um, you know, it's 10 bucks to get in. And I went to the door. I ha- uh, had a $20 bill. And the lady, you know, she said, uh, for one, oh. I said, uh, and that gave me an opportunity to say something. I said, yes, ma'am. I said, um, normally it's two, but my, my wife just passed away a couple months ago. I wasn't trying to get a freebie, but she handed me that $20 bill back. And she said, sir, go in and have a good time. So I went in, hung a right, went to the far aisle, you know, as we did. There was a guy there in a booth selling safe rooms, tornado shelters, mm-hmm. if you will. And he, okay, Tanya and I, for some reason, we always thought we would die in a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're in Texas. And um, so we wanted to make sure that we had our house safeguarded in case. So. In our garage is. I was going to ask, did you finally get one? Storm Dorms. <laughs> okay. Here's a plug for your company, Mr. Wingfield. Storm Dorms. He comes out and uh, puts one of these safe rooms in for us. And um, so he had met Tanya a couple of times uh, when, when they were installing and everything. Anyhow, I turned that corner. He's there in his booth and he remembered me, you know, and everything. Hey, John. Hey, RV. He goes, Where's that pretty wife of yours? Uh-huh. I said, She's in heaven. And he just went, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, no, no, don't apologize. You didn't know. Yeah. Um, you had no idea. And he uh, he said, come in my booth for a minute. He said, I want to talk to you. And he said, uh, are you are you doing anything right now to to work through this? I said, well, sir, I'm I'm needing to find a grief class. He said, um, uh, there's one that my church does. It's called Grief Share. Uh, a, a, a guy in our church leads it. He said, I'm going to give you his phone number if you want to call him and see about coming to that group. I said, I would love to. So I called the gentleman. Um, turns out there, it's Watermark Church mm-hmm. uh, at what we call the High Five here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. It's quite a few miles and minutes away from us in a very busy part of town. Well, the class is 13 weeks, and I call this gentleman, and he said they were in week 10 of their particular class, and he asked where I lived, and I told him. He said, well, I'm not trying to dissuade you. He said, but coming over here on a Tuesday night during rush hour That's and crazy. we only got two or three weeks left. Yeah. He said, I do know there's one closer to you in Irving that is only in its second week at Irving Bible Church. Here's the lady who, who leads it. So I called, and uh, that connected me, and she's like, we'd love to have you, and so I went there. And that was uh, that was in 2015. Like I said, it's only two or three months mm-hmm. after uh, Tanya went to be with the Lord, and I just dove right into that. They they gave us a workbook. We watched a video. Uh, the facilitator, two ladies, were incredible, uh, just beautiful hearts of God, and we got a chance to obviously meet fellow grievers in there, which uh, let me know, as I mentioned earlier, hey, I'm not alone in this thing. I had lost a spouse, some others in there, a couple had tragically lost children, some had lost a sibling, some had lost a parent. I mean, mine was, my reason for being there was uh, losing my wife, 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, well, maybe, and I think maybe even accumulated sorrow because you hadn't really probably had the opportunity or made the opportunity to grieve your brother, or your mom and your mother-in-law and so many others along the way. Pretty crazy you say that because I think that was a side benefit to it. And, uh, I really know that to be true now. Uh, you know, I'm fast forwarding, but in a class that we lead, we, we often find that with people who come to our class. That led me to uh, to grief share there. Uh, uh, and uh, as I said, I'm thankful it was something I knew I needed and, and that it has helped me versus what happened in 1999. Well, and so clearly you did well as you, as you were giving yourself over to the practices that you were learning about in grief share. You processed it by writing a beautiful tribute to your wife in this in this book, Saint, Servant, and uh, Soulmate. But that's not all. This this story takes an interesting turn. Story takes a turn. It does. We need some happy news. Yeah. In Grief Share with uh, Sharon Arrington, you get to meet other people in there, obviously. You're in there 13 weeks. And uh, uh, there was a lady in there uh, as we're going around the table discussing our loss. Well, her husband passed away two months before my wife passed away. And so I'm thinking, wow, we're kind of on the same grief track mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. Of, of when this happened. And uh, it was a spouse for both of us. So, you know, a couple of things going there. And the 13 weeks ended, and there was like a three-month break in the class. And, and you, they, they encourage you to go through it twice. I couldn't wait to get back in there. So I came back in there, and this lady was in there again. And we talked, well, how was your summer? You know, are you doing any better? What's happening? And <clears throat> just those things. The more we talked, we, we exchanged phone numbers, just started talking, and we'd pray at night on the phone before we would hang up, and wonderful conversations. Well, um. They don't really tell you to do this in class, and she and I will still say we didn't do this until the last class. <laughs> I was going to say, we they dated. discourage you from doing it, but go ahead. We dated. <laughs> I, I took her, yes, leaning back on my sports, I took her to a Mavericks basketball game. Uh, and we, you know, got to just know each other even better. And uh, <clears throat> anyhow, what happened a couple of years after that is we got married. Her name is Charlotte. She's a beautiful wife. Uh, she gave birth to a son and daughter, has five grandchildren, and boy, I have an immediate family. You have family. <laughs> That's why I wanted this story to happen now. Uh, you know, you and I had an opportunity to record this earlier when you were uh, doing um, microphone work for the sports events. Um, but it's a very unusual to find true love once it's even more unusual to find it twice than you have and i want to celebrate that i just um i think it's a great story you know uh that that worked out beautifully uh it wasn't either of our intentions when we started great share we both say that you know and and everything but uh it's got it worked i mean again there's nothing accidental and some of the things that, that are truly tragic in our lives, in the end, we know that they are still made 
and happen to to bring glory and honor to God. Mm-hmm. And so I just I'm just blown away by by the Lord's just gifting me and blessing me. It is a beautiful story, and I'm so glad you trusted me with it. So uh, as we close out the show today, is there anything you'd like our listeners to see more clearly as a result of our conversation? Definitely don't give up. Um, geez, that's, that's almost such a cliche. But it's so but important to I, say I, yeah, because people do, and we know them. They hit a wall with their grief, and they give up because they can't see a way forward. Yeah, no, I mean, to that to that point um you know trying to sit here and think of something poignant just for the sake of sounding good i'm not going there but you know this whole issue of never giving up and uh once you give up you're defeated i mean that's what give up means right Mm -hmm. you you Mm -hmm. wave the white towel Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. you you surrender come get me i'm I'm giving up Mm -hmm. i'm yours Mm -hmm. i'm turning myself over to you And that is a desolate place to be. It is. It's an unhealthy place to be. Um, it's, it's a lonely place it, to be. It's a lonely place to be. And it's not really even a scriptural place to be. Uh, you know, the Bible is our manual for how not to give up. Mm, and how many people who predate us 2,000 years ago never gave up. So we have those examples to see. And so now I just want to be that example uh, for others. We we have since started our own grief share class at uh, Oakview Baptist Church. Uh, we will begin our next 13-week class on February 22nd. We have led now through eight 13-week cycles of grief wow. share. We we love it. It continues to bless us. We, we, we're in a room with fellow grievers, other mm-hmm. grievers, mm-hmm. and it's our opportunity and our and our way to minister and support them Mm -hmm. as they're going through their grief journey. Mm -hmm. And um, as I told our pastor, as long as I'm physically and mentally capable, (laughs) uh, sign me up for leading this group. So hopefully I'll have many years to continue doing that. It's that important. (laughs) I think so too. I think a lot of people that are stuck in grief need somebody to just walk alongside them to say, hold my hand and let me walk you through this journey. Um, And it is a journey. It doesn't happen right away. No. Um, Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I have so enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. You are more than welcome. It's been such an incredible honor to to get to just talk about all this. And uh, thank you again. Thanks. And listeners, we'll see you again next week. We're so glad you were able to join us for today's compelling story. You can find out more about our guest today by reading our show notes or visiting our website, nis.media. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to the team at Headset Radio for their technical expertise, and to Becky Salazar for our bumper music. See you next week.